Remember the old joke? I heard your date last night had teeth like the stars. They come out at night. Bada boom. Welcome to the clinician's lightning round table. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Mark Cannon. Dr. Cannon is a clinical associate professor of pediatric dentistry at Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago. He is a past president of the Illinois Society of Dentistry for Children. Dr. Cannon is the author of over 50 scientific papers, lectures nationally and internationally, and in his spare time maintains an active dental practice in Long Grove, Illinois. Thanks for joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you so much, Dr. Rutenberg, for having me. I'm embarrassed to say, but I learned nothing about dentistry in medical school. And if it weren't for TV, I'd still be wondering where the yellow went. So I'd like to blitz you with a bunch of practical questions about dentistry so I can answer my patients' questions. Surely. Go ahead. Toothpaste. You walk in the drugstore, there's an entire aisle of toothpaste. They whiten, brighten, cure gingivitis, remove plaque. Some even make you smarter. What do you buy? Is there a difference? Is there a better brand or ingredients? What do we need in our products? Well, that's difficult to answer because when we have patients in our practice, I actually suggest one that's most appropriate for that patient. For instance, a lot of the whitening toothpaste, they are very abrasive, and they're really designed to remove extrinsic stain, stain that's on the outside of the enamel. They're really appropriate for people who drink a lot of coffee, drink a lot of red wine, and that's a very small percentage of my under four-year-old group. (laughs) I would hope so. Now, there's other toothpaste that have an antimicrobial effect. So those are more appropriate for patients who may have some type of gingivitis, some type of inflammation with the gingiva, that we may be dealing with a bacterial issue. So it's a very difficult question to answer because each child will be on a different type of regimen. And sometimes with children, The one you recommend is the only one they'll use because they're very sensitive to flavors. It's not like the old days. Now, take us back a few decades, and parents would go and they'd buy one tube for the whole family, and that was normal. You bought Crest, you bought Colgate or Aquafresh, whatever for the family. Believe it or not, back in a study I did in the early 80s, they actually had a group of individuals for a special session. They asked them, do you think parents would ever buy special toothpaste for their children? And the answer was no. Now, I disagreed with that, saying, you've got to be kidding me. You should have gone into business and make a toothpaste. I should have, because they gave up an extraordinary opportunity to go on the market with children's toothpaste. And that's something I'll tell you about later one day. But... Here we have it right now. You're right. It's exploded with all these different options. And as you know, most of it is marketing. They're actually looking for a little niche. They want to take over that niche, whether it's bright teeth, sexier smile, whatever. I'm just waiting for a toothpaste with Viagra to come out. Is there enough fluoride in the toothpaste that it makes a difference? One parts per million is enough in the toothpaste. Again, in fact, you can use too much toothpaste. And, And with children, we have to recommend that for kids under the age of six that they not use more than the size of a pea. So it's just a pea-sized amount. Uh, A full-inch strip of toothpaste on a toothbrush gives you a milligram of fluoride a day if you ingest it. That's actually your total daily requirement. That's forgetting about all the fluoride in the water and in foods and processed foods. Yeah, I wanted to go into that because I understand there's some hidden 
sources of fluoride that could actually lead to fluorosis. Is that true? Absolutely. There's a lot of occult sources of fluoride. Many of the prepared foods that people use nowadays are frozen foods that they heat up, and of course those frozen foods are made in plants that make food, and they're usually in urban areas utilizing fluoride water, and the fluoride is actually concentrated. There's been a number of studies done. In fact, one of my associates is publishing a study on her research on fluoride in numerous infant foods, and it's a high amount of fluoride. So the fluoride's everywhere in a lot of water, even a lot of well water, and that's why we recommend to pediatricians that before you write prescription for fluoride, you really need to have the well water analyzed because some well water has more than enough fluoride and some has way too much fluoride. That's a great point because as a pediatrician, we were always told there's no naturally occurring fluoride in the water, and it sounds like that's not true. Not true. There's a lot of areas that have more than enough fluoride naturally occurring, and we always run a well water analysis. We run how much fluoride's in that well water, and I would say at least a third of the time we do not need to write a prescription for fluoride. Next on my list is mouthwashes. What do you have to say about them? Again, we have to go back to the research. There's uh, some mouthwashes on the market right now that have no more than a placebo effect. Uh, They've been studied repeatedly. They have no effect on plaque regardless of their names and their claims. And they don't have to prove it. As you know, mouthwashes are classified as a cosmetic, so they simply have to be proven not to cause cancer to be on the market. I didn't know that, and I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us. You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Mark Cannon. We are discussing a potpourri of practical pediatric dentistry. So mouthwashes, we can scratch off our list of products to buy at the supermarket? Not necessarily, because there are several brands that have a very strong antimicrobial effect, and we actually do recommend that kids with gingivitis use this. Again, we have to be concerned about the long-term effects of gingivitis, which leads to periodontal disease, which adversely affect the health of the individual. On the mouthwashes, what's the active ingredient that parents or patients should look for that has the antimicrobial effect? Well, example one would be the ProHealth product from Crest, which is just like the old Sepacol that we used to use years ago, only they removed the alcohol. Of course, we have prescription ones that we use a lot, too. Paradex, which has chlorhexidine in it. Oh, you can use chlorhexidine in the mouth. Oh, we use chlorhexidine a lot for kids with severe gingival disorders. For example, kids who have had transplants, or cardiac transplant kids, we always maintain them on antimicrobial just to prevent any type of bacteria in the mouth from getting an overwhelming effect. Well, that's a great Especially take-home point. Especially immunosuppressed patients or immunosuppressed patients. We were talking about MI paste earlier. Right. And one of the patients' groups that we use MI paste in would be like epidermolysis bullosa patients. And again, there may be some who are just joined us. Could you tell us what the MI paste stands for? Minimum intervention paste, and it's a paste with amorphous calcium phosphate that's bioavailable. It helps repair the dentition. By repairing, we always mean remineralization. In fact, that's the big buzzword in dentistry. Going back to the products that patients like to buy, in the next aisle, there's a huge row of toothbrushes. First, I just wonder, is there an advantage to the electric toothbrush over a standard? Yes, and especially with children. Children tend not to have the greatest attention span. (laughs) I don't know if you noticed that or not, but they need something highly efficient. 
the electric toothbrushes are far more efficient, and it depends on whose studies. Of course, these studies you have to take with grain salt always. But it's two to three times more efficient. So if a child's only giving you a minute to brush their teeth, you get twice as much plaque removed in that minute. Stains on the teeth. What do we do about those? When parents come into my office, they always show me the spots. They want to know, one, should they worry about a systemic disease? And number two, what caused them? Was it all the antibiotics? What can we do? Any advice to those parents and to the pediatricians? You have to discern between the extrinsic stains, the stains in the surface of the teeth, and the intrinsic stains or stains actually within the enamel and dentin. If it's a surface coating stain, extrinsic, they can be removed with a more abrasive toothpaste or just a visit to the friendly dentist who'll polish up the teeth and remove them. And that's probably the best thing to do because if we can't polish them off, we know they're intrinsic, we have to look at other means of removing them. If they're extrinsic, then we can try to remove the cause. Extrinsic stains, a lot of them are dietary. I mean, and we're not just talking about red wine and chewing tobacco and Starbucks coffee. Antibiotics can cause extrinsic stain too. You know, broad spectrum antibiotics over long term use produce a, a favoring of the chromogenic bacteria in the oral flora. And those would be such as? Well, you know, Pseudomonas will produce a little green stain. Bacteroides melanogenicus will produce a nice black stain, all the Bacteroides. And you get this nice little black stain running around the gingiva. Now, Bacteroides, as you know, will stimulate a little bleeding of the tissue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that bleeding is because it likes to feast on the blood cells. And then you get all the iron pigments left behind. Those we can polish off. Now, that takes us to iron stain, you know, vitamins with iron. Iron supplements can cause staining. So we like to get the children in. Now, sometimes when we're removing the stain, we find a lot of little pits. And those pits underneath the stain, that's the reason for the stain, too, because those pits are a great area for anaerobes to grow. And again, you have the same effect you have with the bacteroides because they start causing bleeding of the tissue, and that leads to the iron deposition. Talking about damage and things that occur to teeth, we're just finishing the summer season, and... It's always the call at about 7 o'clock at night. My child fell off his bike and knocked out a tooth. Do we still place it in milk? How do you handle the tooth that's been extruded? Oh, when you evulse a tooth completely, yeah. Almost everyone has milk at home. Now, better than that is Hank's Balanced Saline Solution, but only the emergency rooms have the HBSS. But anyway, milk is something that everyone has at home. Dump it in milk or put it back in the socket. If the parents can put it back in... And, you know, a lot of coaches will do it. They'll really? stick it back in. That's the best place. Just get it right back in right away. Do you have to rinse it first or it just pop it in? It should be rinsed if they have something to rinse it. But if it's like hanging in the mouth, it's already covered with saliva, which is keeping it hydrated. The key is to get it back in, if possible, within 30 minutes. If you can get it back into the socket within 30 minutes, you can keep that tooth for a long time. Is there a risk of aspiration? Do you have to select which child you do it in? Only the disabled kids do I worry about aspiration because if you get it back in the socket, it tends to stay in nicely. It really does have a suction effect, and you can tell if it's in right. It's sad. You're not going to believe this, and the listeners aren't going to believe this, but yeah, people do put them in wrong. 
they reversed like the left and the right tooth, central incisor. I have seen that several times, and then they don't fit right. An experienced clinician will actually feel it kind of like suck into place. So you better go see your dentist after Absolutely. you put the tooth in. And it needs to be splinted. And the splint usually stays on for 10 to 14 days. And the splint is a very special type of splint that allows for normal physiologic function. And they're usually very aesthetic. In our last minute, what product would you like to see brought to market? You do an extensive amount of dental research. What would you like to see on the shelves next? Well, we can't do it in the United States. I've used it overseas in Europe, and that's chlorhexidine varnish. They wouldn't be on the shelf, but it'd be a great product for dentists to have. And uh, the other thing, of course, is still waiting approval is the ozone generators, which you actually bombard the pits and grooves of the teeth of ozone and disinfects and kills off the bacteria. Looks like we have a bright, smiley future ahead of us. I'd like to thank Dr. Mark Cannon for being my guest. We've been discussing a potpourri of practical pediatric dentistry. I leave you with the words of Ogden Nash. Some tortures are physical and some are mental, but the one that is both is dental. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you good day and good health.